uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at the whole, whole chapter. How many verses is it? It's pretty long, 58 verses. We're not going to read all those verses. Um, we're definitely not going to read them all at one time. But I want to try to walk through this passage with you and uh, give you, I hope, a, a helpful thought. This, this, if you know 1 Samuel 17, you know it because of a pretty famous story. It's David and Goliath. Y'all ever heard of that before? I imagine you have. I'll be surprised if you hadn't. Even, even if this was your first time ever to walk into a church, you probably have heard of David and Goliath before. You may not, got all, may not have all the story details right, but you've heard of it before. I would even argue many times that um, when we think about the story of David and Goliath and the application of it, I want to, I want to challenge you if uh, I think you, we often get the application of it wrong even in how we think about this. So I'm going to do two things here with this. Two things. One is I want to try to help you. The, 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 story, the headline, the title, if you will, is defeating the giants in your life. So we're going to try to talk about how to defeat those giants, okay? We've got problems. We've got big things, things overwhelm us. So I want to help you that way. But as I do that, I want to try to help you this way. When we read anything in the Bible, this is where I'm going to be kind of a teacher for you. When we read anything in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, the answer is always, do y'all know what the answer is always? What's the answer to everything? Somebody just said it. Jesus, Jesus is the answer to everything in the Bible. If there's any, anything in here, you can see that the answer is Jesus. I want to show you that in this passage. Are you with me? Two things. We can, how we can defeat things, how we can defeat the problems. Two how Jesus is the answer, always the answer. Okay, y'all with me? Good enough? All right, I'll take it. All right, that's good enough. Let's begin with the word of prayer, and then we'll just get right into the story. Lord, I want to ask your help this morning. You know where I am. You know where these people are. You know what we need. Please help us to, to, to see you, help us to hear you, and help us to obey you. We ask this in Jesus' name. First thing I want to say to you before I even get into the story, and this is actually the setup for the story. First point, you cannot, this is the bad news, you cannot defeat the giants in your life. I want you to see that in this first part of the passage. You got in verse one, he says there, the Philistines gathered their armies to battle and were gathered together at Sokah and Azekah. In Ephes Damon. Now, that means nothing to us because we don't live there. But let me try to help you understand what's going on. This is a battle between Philistia and Israel. These are two warring nations. They're at odds with each other. And this battle has come down to this one spot on the, on the map. And they are sitting on those two words that I said, Sokah and Azekah are two hills. Can you, can you picture this? You've got an army on one hill. You've got another army on another hill. And then in between them, there's this big valley. This valley that's there is a valley of strategic importance. This valley, whoever wins the war here, whoever gets control of this valley is going to have 
an edge in this war. You got that so far? Okay, that's what's going on here. Now go to verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. So they're all set up. Verse 3, the Philistines on one, on one side of the mountain, then the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. It's just setting up for us what I just said. Two armies on two hills, a valley in the middle, and this valley is very, very important to them. So that's the setup for us. But now we've got to enter in the problem. Look at here in verse 4. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. A couple things I want to point out about this person, Goliath. You know some of this. One of them that he's super tall. We think he's probably somewhere between eight and nine feet based on the measurements that are given in the scripture. That's probably about right. He's a big dude. But I want you to focus in on the fact that it says there that he was a champion out of their camp. In other words, this was a man who was trained from as early as possible to this moment for one purpose. He was trained as a champion. He was not trained to be on the front line of the infantry. He was not trained to be back with the archers putting out the bows and arrows. He was not trained to do any of those. He's not trained as a general. He's trained for one reason. He is the Muhammad Ali of that era. That he is supposed to stand there do one-on-one battle. He is honed and ready to do that. He is a big man. It says there, again, six cubits in a span, probably eight to nine feet tall. He is heavily armored. You can see that in verses five, six, and seven. He's got a helmet on. He's got a coat of mail. So this, this, this shirt, this coat that is made out of metal, essentially, little rings of metal. He has got um, these metal leg coverings. He is completely armored. He's got a javelin. He's got a huge spear. He's got, I mean, this is a man head to toe covered, and he's got a shield so big. Where is that? In verse, um, in verse 7, he's got a shield so big. The last part of verse 7, he's got a shield so big, there's another man with him carrying his shield. That's the kind of, we're talking about, as far as, as a human being, he's as close to an armored truck as you could possibly get. And he is big. And furthermore, he is a champion. We're not just talking about a big man who's been, who's been uh, armored. He's a big man who's been armored, who knows how to fight, who knows how to kill, who knows how to do one-on-one battle. Are you with me so far? This is important because you've got to see that that's who he is. And then in verse 8, he is full of haunt, uh, hate and taunts. Look what he says here in verse 8. He cried unto the army, saying, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am, I, am not I a Philistine and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your, enemy, then your servants. And if I prevail against him and kill him, then, ye, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. He is standing there. First of all, he is, I mean, he's, he's talking smack. He's just talking just junk at these people. First of all, that's what he's doing. He knows how to say the right things to kind of goad them a little bit. That's what he's doing. And then in addition to that, he's saying, if you will send down, he's sending out this challenge. He says, I want somebody. Maybe he's thinking I want Saul. I think that's what he's trying to suggest there. He thinks Saul the king, by the way, Saul's the king at this time. Maybe get your king to come down here. I can fight him. 
I'll take him. If I take him, we win. If you take it, take me, then, then y'all win. And he's also kind of giving this, this opportunity. Basically, let's not lose a lot of lives here today. Let's do a one-on-one battle. Whoever wins will decide that'll be the winner. That was not necessarily an uncommon thing to do, but also was a thing that was done all the time either. But what happens in this is that he actually defies, in fact, in verse 10, he says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. He is actually defying the armies of Israel. He defies their honor. He is attacking their honor, okay? And I want you to notice the reaction in verse 11. Look with me in verse 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, I want you to understand that they are in distress and they are depressed because of this situation. But I want you to understand that this is actually perfectly natural and perfectly rational. Do you understand that? They are up against a war machine of a man. And they say, and he says, I will fight whoever you send my way. And if you beat me, you win. If I beat you, you win. That seems like a good proposition, except the man that they're up against is a war machine or a man they don't have any way of beating him. Furthermore, the reason this is put up here is because it's probable that these two warring factions, if they were to fight, at best they would come to a stalemate. There would just be lots of lives lost. So they're, they're sitting there and they're looking at the situation and saying, this is upsetting. It's perfectly natural. It's a perfectly rational response. The other thing you don't know, because I didn't give you this context, but at this moment in time, there's this man named Saul, who's the king of Israel. Y'all you know Saul? Y'all you know the kings of Israel? Saul, and then David, and Solomon. You know those three kings? That's pretty normal. Most people know that. So this is Saul. This is Saul first, first real king that Israel's ever had. Starts out with a wonderful beginning. But at this point in his rule over Israel, he's made a lot of mistakes. He's made a mess out of stuff. He's not on good terms with God. God's already told him, your, your, your rule is over. Your, your throne is done. You are not, you no longer have my blessing. And the reason, part of the reason for that is that Saul would constantly see things that he thinks need to be done and he would go do it and it would not be God's will. He'd be just doing what he thought was right. For once, Saul reads this situation and says, I don't think we can fix this one. For once, he actually sees it and understands it correctly. He says, I can't deal with this one. And I'm I'm trying to get you to get to the point that you're applying this to your own personal life is that the conflicts that you're enduring and there are the conflicts with your sinful flesh, you know, those sins that beset you, that you can't defeat, that you can't overcome, those, those people that upset you, those problematic relationships that you just can't fix and can't figure out, those, those decisions that you need to make that sometimes they're hard decisions, sometimes even the little ones that are, they shouldn't be that hard, but they're really hard still. Those kinds of things, all those conflicts, those tough times that won't go away, those problems, I want you to hear this very loud and very clear and very plain, those problems are insurmountable. You can't get over it. And if you're sitting there listening to me and say, well, Matthew, ain't that encouraging? 
Well, I want you to know if you don't get to the place where you know that you can't fix it, you'll never have any victory over it. You can't fix it. You have no hope. You can't. It's insurmountable. But now the story goes on. Y'all do know the story goes on, right? We're not done there. Because then in verse 12, somebody shows up right at this time. Look at this, verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. In verse 13, and the eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul into the battle. The names of these three sons were Eliab, the firstborn, and Abinadab, the second one, and the third one was Shammah. The point of that is simply that I'm introducing you now to a man named David. If you know anything about David, he doesn't look like a whole lot. In fact, so much, he doesn't, he just look, he doesn't look like much. He's, a, he's essentially a young man, maybe a, an older teenager, maybe even a young teenager. I don't know exactly his age here, but the point is he's not. Do you notice who's in battle? His brothers. He's got three brothers. They're in the, they're in the war. David is not in the war. So that tells you something about him. He's probably not old enough. He's, he's probably not fit enough. There's something missing about him that he's not in the bore at all. And furthermore, in, in chapter 16, y'all, y'all don't know this because I didn't tell you this, but I'll tell you in chapter 16, God sends Samuel to David's house. And the whole reason he sends Samuel to David's house is to say, I'm going to anoint David to be the next king. Now, one of the things that God has to tell Samuel, go go over to chapter 16 and verse 7. Chapter 16, verse 7. God has to tell this to Samuel because Samuel's there to to, to anoint David to be the king. And here's what God has to tell Samuel. He says, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him. He's speaking of Elia. And then he goes on to say, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Do you hear what God's saying to Samuel? He's saying, I know these other boys look good. And as far as looking for a king, they'd be first choice from a human perspective. But there's going to be somebody, he don't look like a king. He doesn't look like you would expect him to look. But I know what I'm looking for, and he's what I want. All that is to simply say... I, I don't know David. I've never seen him myself with my eyes. I still want to go by what the Bible tells me. But as best as I can tell, he probably was kind of a little bit of a, a little a little twerp. He probably wasn't a whole lot of nothing. He probably wouldn't hold up in a, in a physical fight. Do you understand? I think that's the point here. Is that he doesn't look like much. But then his father in verse 12 that I, that I read you is that his father sent him to the battle to help his brothers. He's helping his brothers and he's supposed to bring them in, in uh, verses 17 and 18. He brings them provisions, food and things like that. We're back into chapter 17. He brings them food and provisions. And he's doing this just as the battle gets hottest. And I think the way that the writer here has put this together, it's on purpose to say, here is at this moment when Goliath is, is claiming this and everybody's shaking their boots because of Goliath's uh, uh, demands. That moment, that's when David shows up. He literally pops up on the scene right as all that's happening. And I want you to understand that he has left his regular job. Look at verse 15. 
David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. David had another job, okay? You know what his job was? He was a shepherd. He took care of the sheep. That was his job. He did this. So, so here, picture this. He's at home taking care of the sheep. His father sends him to help his brothers who are in the heat of the battle bring them the provisions they need. He comes in there. He doesn't look like a whole lot, but he brings them exactly what they need. Are you with that? Okay. You can't defeat the giants in your life. So you know what you need? You need a champion who can. And I want you to understand that you have that champion. David is the champion they needed. And you say, well, Matthew, you just told me all the reasons he isn't a champion. Do you understand that David, first of all, shows us Jesus. John chapter five, verse 39, Jesus says that you'll search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify to me. He says, listen, it's all about me. And Jesus didn't look like much when he came. Isaiah 53, verse two, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. See that? And you know what Jesus' job was? His job, by the way, is not defeating the giants in your life. He has another job of ruling the universe. <laughs> and that's why in Philippians chapter two, verse six, it says he was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He has another job, but he left that. The Father sent him to be a help to us. Do y'all see the parallels? I don't think it's an accident. I don't think I'm stretching it either. I think it's right there that he's saying that there's a parallel. His father sent him to help his brothers who needed something, and it didn't look like a whole lot. And he shows up right on time. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made a woman. So we need a, a champion who can defeat that giant. And that champion, I was going to tell you, I don't want to, no mystery here, it's Jesus. You need to know that Jesus is the one who can defeat the giants. David was the one who defeated the giant Goliath here, but he is a, he is a, uh, uh, a picture of Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. Some of us don't think that that champion that the Father sent can do the job. Go with me down to verse 23. Here, David hears what the Goliath is saying. He says, and he talked with them, and beheld, this is David, he's talking with people, and beheld, there came a champion, the Philistine of Goliath, of Gath, Goliath by name, and David heard them. So here's David hearing what Goliath's talking about. And then, and, and then um, as, as he's listening to what they're talking about, he says, um, or rather in, in verse 26, uh, David asks the question, he says, now what shall be done to the man that killed this Philistine, Philistine take away the reproach for Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? He's, he's, here's what the, the Goliath is saying. And he says, I'm going to do something about this. Somebody needs to do something. What in the world? What do y'all stand? Why are you going to let this go on? Why are you letting this go on? And he's appalled that nobody's going to do anything about it. He says, what's wrong with y'all? 
Y'all gonna let him say these things about our country, about our God? But then in verse 28, look at what his brothers say. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, Why camest thou down hither? And why, with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. His brother says, You're just full of pride. What are you talking about? You're going to help us with this giant. You just wanted to come and see a battle. You, you just need to get, he's basically saying, you just need to go on home, take care of your sheep. Why do you, what's wrong with you? And, and David is sitting here saying, look at what he says in verse 29 in response to that. What have I now done? Is there not a cause? He says, don't you see that there's a problem here, brother? Is there not something worth fighting for? Yet you want me to just go on home and be quiet about this? The good news is for, for, for Eliab and the rest of the, the Israeli army, he says in verse 30, he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. The point was that, you know what David did when he heard what Eliab said, when Eliab was trying to shut him up and shut him down? You know what David did? He just kept on going. He just kept on going. He says, you're not going to listen to him and talk to somebody else. Let's go to somebody else. Let's keep talking here. But the point of this is simply that there's some people, some of us who don't think our champion can actually overcome our problems. Some of us, it's our pride is so hurt when we can't handle our own problems. We want to figure out how we can, how we can just suck it up on the inside and just, just work our way through it. Some of us want to deal with it ourselves. Like we need this ourselves. There's even some who, when, a, when God's messengers, whether it's a preacher in a pulpit or a friend in the pew, will come alongside and say, you need to trust the Lord for help on this or that or the other thing. Some of us actually will get upset. We'll get our hackles up say, what do you mean? When we, we hear that message. But to not let God take over our problems, not let the Savior take care of our problems, is basically to foolishly give up. That's exactly, here's Eliab basically giving up, basically saying, well, we're going to be Philistines now. That's what he's saying. And David's saying, is there not a cause? And I want you to hear that there are some of you that think your champion can't do it, but I want you to also hear, thank God, God doesn't give up. Even when you say, ah, I think I'll handle this on my own. You know what he's doing? He's still working in spite of you. Even though you've got Eliab here saying, I don't think you can do it, David. David doesn't say, oh, well, I guess you can't. I can't do it. Going on to the house. No, he keeps going. That's what our Savior does. Is he continues to go in spite of our, our lack of faith. There are other others of us who think that our champion needs some help. We, we want him to do the work. We say, yes, we need a champion. We know he can do this. He's the one we need, but I got to help him out. Look, look, what, look what happens here in, in verse 31. And when the, spur, the words were, excuse me, and when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. So King Saul hears about what's going on. He hear about what David's saying. Everybody said, David's out there talking about this, and he sounds like he's, He's, gonna, he's willing to be the champion. I'm, I'm not sure if he can do it. 
But Saul hears about this. Saul, Saul's thinking, maybe we need to do this. And, and in verse 32, Saul says to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, but for thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. And David then convinces him. He says, listen, I can do this. I, I've, I've killed bears and I've killed lions. I can handle this. My God is going to be with me. Don't you worry, Saul. And what's amazing is Saul is convinced. I don't know if that's because David was that convincing. That's possible. Or Saul's that desperate. That's also possible. But no matter what, Saul is convinced of this. But and, he, and when he is convinced of it, though, he says, listen, verse 39. Or rather, excuse me, verse 38. Saul said, let me back you up one more verse. Verse 37 at the end. Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with thee. He says, okay, fine. You're on, you're on it. But he says in verse 38, he armed David with his armor. He put a helmet of brass on his head and he armed with a coat of mail. So he says, I want you to, I want you to wear some of this, 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 uh, this, this armor. Now y'all have to understand this. Y'all do know that David was a small person, as best as we can tell. Physically, probably slight. If nothing else, because he was young, but there was indication in the Bible that he may not have been a very large man to begin with. Okay? There's just some people that are built that way. Saul, on the other hand, is in that crowd, when he talks about it early in 1 Samuel, in the crowd, he's at least head and shoulders above everybody else. So he's a tall man. So think about this. You've got a very tall man, a smaller person, short probably, but definitely a smaller person, and they're supposed, he's actually taking the tall man's armor and putting it on the small short man. How's that going to work out? It's like putting on your daddy's clothes as a little boy. It's just not, it's going to look funny and it's definitely not going to feel good and it's definitely not going to do a whole lot of protecting. So when he does that, verse 39, David says unto Saul, the middle of the verse, he says, I cannot go with these for I've not proved them. And David put them off. Saul is insisting that David wear armor and weapons, but it's just not going to work. In fact, what does he do? He goes into battle his own way. In verse 40, he goes wearing his own clothes. He's wearing clothes that a shepherd would wear. Not what a warrior would wear, but he's wearing what a shepherd would wear. And I guarantee you there is no armor, there is no metal plating, there is no mail. There, none of that's in there. He goes with what a, what a shepherd would wear. And you know what else he does? He goes with the shepherd's weapons. What is the shepherd's weapons? Well, it's a stone or some stones and a sling. So he, he's got basically a, a sling, not the kind that y'all are used to or you pull it back this way, but you know, it's a sling. It's got two straps on it. You got a little pocket for the stone. You twirl it around, you let go of one of the ends and it throws that stone. That's the kind of sling that he's got. I don't know that I could throw one of those if I had to, but he knew what he was doing. He killed bears and lions with it. So he knew how to, how to handle himself. Um, but he brought his own weapons. What I want you to hear there is that some of us don't think that, some of us don't think that we even need a champion, but there's a few of you that say, yeah, I need a champion, but he needs my help. And I want you to know that your champion doesn't need your help. He's got his own ways of doing things. He knows how to fix things. In fact, think about this. I can't speak for y'all, I can speak for myself. About call it 
99%, maybe 99.5% of my problems, I cause them because of something stupid I've done, some sin that I've done, some bad decision I have done. It's my fault. So how much do you think I'm going to be able to fix my problem? I'm the problem to begin with. I need somebody outside of my situation to fix it. I, my methods got me into this mess. I need somebody with different methods into this to fix this. So we need to trust him to do it his way. He's got a way to do it, and he fixes it every time. Now, this is where it gets good. Y'all, if that wasn't good enough, I want y'all to know it gets, it, gets, it gets gooder at this point. Just listen. Okay, listen in. Okay. All right. You need a champion, right? Because your problems can't be fixed. Some of you don't think you need a champion, but you do. Some of you think you need your help, but he doesn't. But if we'll let our champion just get out of his way and let him go to the battlefield his way in his, in his time, you're going to be amazed at how he defeats the enemy. First of all, he takes this enemy by surprise. Look at me in verse 42. Philistine looked about and saw David, and he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. As far as Goliath is concerned, he said, this is a little boy coming at me. So he's young. Go to verse 43. Goliath asks, he says, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? He said, what are you doing, with sticks? Are we going to play fetch? What are we doing here? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He looks, Goliath looks at David, he says, this is a boy. He doesn't have any equipment. He even says in verse 44, come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, to the beasts of the field. He says, I got this. This little boy's coming at me with sticks and stones. He's not coming at me with, with swords and shields. I can beat him. No problem. He's confident. By the way, he's not, let's be clear, he's not overconfident. What kind of a man is Goliath? A war machine. He knows how to beat people. He knows how to win. He has probably, probably battled with some of the fiercest warriors that his moment in time had ever seen. So he sees a little boy, as far as he's concerned, coming to him with, some, with a sling in his hand and said, I got this. What is, what is the deal? He's got this. But David had something that the giant didn't expect. Go down to verse 45. Look at what he says. Thou comest to me, talking to Goliath, with a sword and a spear with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. He's saying, man, you don't understand who I am. You don't understand what I represent. I am something bigger than myself. I'm even bigger than this army behind me. I am representing the God who is behind this army. I'm representing them. And he even says in verse 46, he says, This day the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of Philistines this day into the fowls of the air. And that all the world know that there is a God in Israel. He says, I'm going to do this because it's already been declared. It's going to be done because my God, Yahweh, the one true God, is going to be glorified in all of this. That giant wasn't quite expecting that because that's not exactly what he looked like coming at him. And then 
David does something that's unexpected. Not only is he something that's unexpected, he does something unexpected in verse 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came nigh, came and drew nigh to, to David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Now, I know that's what the words say, and y'all heard the words, but I don't think you understand what's going on here. We've got a nine-foot-tall warrior, armed to the teeth, armored like you've never seen a man armored. And we've got, for all intents and purposes, a little boy, 10, 12, 14 years old, young, untested, unproven, no armor. The only weapon he has in his hand is a sling. He might as well have one of those rubberized slingshots y'all are used to. He might as well have one of those in his hand. And what does he do? Not what I would do. You know what I would do if I'm sitting in that situation? I got my sling in my hand and I'm standing there and I'm looking at Goliath. Y'all can laugh at me if you want to. You can call me a coward if you want to. I call it being wise. You know what I would do? I'm out of here. I'm running the other way. What does David do? It says he hasted. He got in a hurry. He got in a hurry. Not to run away like I would do, but ran toward the army. That's what he does. He gets to run in at a full tilt and he's going after him. He says, I'm going to go straight at him. I can guarantee you Goliath is sort of saying, whoa, what's going on here? Goliath, it sounds like he, in, in that verse 49 that he is getting ready. So he's probably got his hand on his, on his sword, probably about to pull it out. And then there's David running at him. And then it says, in verse 49, he puts his hand in his bag. As best I can tell, as, as, as he's running towards him, he's got his hand in his bag. He pulls out a stone and he's slaying it. I guess that's the past of slinging, slinging, slaying. Uh, anyway, uh, King James English there. Uh, and smote the for Philistine in the forehead and the stone sunk in his forehead and he felt his face to the earth. I mean, it's amazing that he hit, runs headlong at Goliath and the, and the army. He throws a stone, hits him directly. A, that he hit him in the head is amazing to me at all. It sounds like he hit him right between the eyes and he hit him with such force that stone didn't just ding him on the forehead. It went in like a bullet. It went in and he got that, joke, that joker and knocked him down. He is throwing him directly. And it's, it's in retrospect, knowing the story how it is, it's almost not fair if you know how to sling a stone like David does because what does Goliath have? Yeah, he's got that javelin, but he ain't throwing that thing. He's not that sword yet. If you ever get close to Clyde, he's going to kill you. But David can knock you from however many feet away. He can be from a distance. So it's not fair in one way. But nonetheless, he hits the giant. But he kills this giant in verse 50 without a sword. He prevailed over it. There was no sword in the hand of David, it says in verse 50. But that's not enough. Look at verse 51. David ran and stood upon the Philistines. So here's, that, here's Goliath laid out. I mean, as best as I can tell, he's probably dead. Worst case, he's really, really wounded, but he's probably dead at this point. He stands over him, stands on his body. He drew the sword out of the sheath. So he takes Goliath's own sword and slew him and cut off his head therewith. 
By the way, if anybody was listening, David did promise he was going to do this, so he's just fulfilling a promise that he'd give. But nonetheless, what he does is he cuts the, the, giant, the giant's head off. <laughs> he, he finishes this pretty finally. I mean, I, I believe that it was probably enough to knock him in the head with that stone. He's probably dead. He probably has a, uh, um, a rock lodged in his brain at this point, so he's probably not going to do a whole lot of damage. But David makes sure that that, Goliath is, that that giant is never a problem again. He says, I'm just going to go ahead and take his head off from his body. It's pretty gory what he does, but he takes that sword and he removes his head. He decapitates him right then and there. Of course, in verse 51, you can see that the, the battle turns. The, the Philistine army, they start running. But all I'm trying to get you to see here is that David, in this battle, was effective and he was fine. Jesus is our champion, and he may not use the forms or the methods that you expect him to, but he's got more power than you can ever imagine. The devil is constantly dumbfounded by the power of Jesus. If you go back to the, the Old Testament and New Testament, you read the story, the arc of the story about what God is doing and how it unfolds and how every turn there's the devil trying to stop this and trying to challenge that devil. In fact, what's amazing to me is the devil, I believe, was even behind the crucifixion. He was trying to pull the strings behind the curtains, trying to get Jesus killed. But that was actually God's plan to begin with. This is what God does is he dumbfounds the devil at every turn. And he, it's greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And Jesus takes your problems and he hits them head on. That verse I read at the beginning, it with joy he went to the cross. Your problem was sin. That's, your, that's the root of your problem. Your sin was, is and was dragging you down to the pits of hell. But what did Jesus do? He went straight forward. He didn't cower from it. He went right to it. He laid down his life on the cross, shed his blood, and took care of your sins once and for all. And when Jesus takes care of a problem, it's settled. That's why he said in John 19, 30, it is finished. That's not just him saying, I'm done, I'm dead. He is saying that, but that's not all he's saying. He is saying, I've got this handled once and for all. That's why he write, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? O brave, where is thy victory? Sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus our Lord. We need a champion. We have a champion. His name is Jesus. The problem I, I want to just reiterate for you is that some of y'all don't think he can do it. Others of you think he needs your help. He doesn't. And he can. He can do it. He doesn't need your help. The question becomes then, what are you going to, what are you going to do? What's your reaction going to be? Are you going to be like Eliab and say, he can't do it? You're going to be like Saul and try to put some armor on him? Or are you going to be like Jonathan? If you go to chapter 18, I won't make you turn there, but chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. You know what Jonathan's reaction to David is? It's love. 
and devotion. He gives himself over to, to David. He says, I, I'm your servant. I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. As I say, I'm trying to land the plane. I'm trying to be done. I just want y'all to hear that Jesus, he's able. I don't know what your challenge is. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what your giant is. You can't defeat him. He can. I want to ask you to stand. And give you an opportunity to respond to the word that's been preached. Some of you have some real challenges, some real difficulties. I'm not, I hope you've not heard me mock that or downplay that or diminish that anywhere. There's some serious things that some of y'all are wrestling with. I'm inviting you right now to bring it to the Lord, put it at His feet, and say, You're the champion that I, you're the only champion I've got. Will you handle it? I want to invite you to do that now.